We spent uh, the first nine months of 2020 looking at Mark's gospel and uh, took a little break throughout the fall and uh, now we're picking it back up. So we did part one essentially of Mark. Mark can be broken into two parts. Part one, mainly looking at the question of who is Jesus? What is his identity? And then part two, focusing on the mission of Jesus. What is it that he came to do? And all throughout the first part of Mark's gospel, you get people kind of stabbing at this idea. I mean, Mark tells us right in chapter 1, verse 1, who Jesus is. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We, we get that right away from the very beginning. But over the course of those first eight chapters up to where we are uh, starting here this morning, Jesus is doing these miracles. He's doing these teachings. People are thinking, wow, what a great miracle worker. Wow, what a great rabbi. Wow, what a great prophet. But no one is really recognizing who this is until you get to this point, which is kind of a, a, an apex in the story. Jesus says to his disciples, you know, who do people say that I am? We've come to the end of this, these, uh, you know, these months of journeying and, and doing this work amongst all these people. So who are people saying that I am? And they're saying, well, some think you are like Elijah come back to earth. And some people are saying, you, you are the prophet, another prophet that was to come, like another Isaiah kind of a figure. And, and Jesus just says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. And Jesus says, essentially, you're right. Because in verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man, which is just another way of referring to who Jesus is, you can go back and listen to uh, previous sermons, probably the last sermon I touched on that when we were in Mark. Um, but he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. So there's his mission. Identity has come to a head. You are the Christ. Mission, I am the Messiah. Christ means Messiah or anointed one or king. Kings were anointed in Israel. I am the king and I've come to die. This is my mission. I'm going to actually be crucified and on the third day I'm going to rise again from the dead. So from this point on, the focus is on Jesus' journey to Jerusalem and his crucifixion, ultimately his resurrection. So Peter, you know, Peter and the disciples, they got it, but they didn't get it. Like, you are the Messiah, you're the anointed one, you're the king. But for them, what that meant was, we're going to go to Jerusalem, and these Roman occupiers are going to get kicked out, and the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel, and you're going to be the king sitting on David's throne. And this will be great for us. Because we'll have positions of power too. You know, our life will go well for us. But then, you know, Jesus said, I've actually come to be rejected and suffer and die. And so Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. That's not the way this is going to play out. You're not going to suffer. You're going to win. You're going to be strong, not weak. This isn't God's will for your life, Jesus, Peter is saying. And Jesus says to Peter, you know, very strong rebuke, get behind me, Satan. It doesn't mean that Peter is possessed by Satan. It doesn't mean that Peter is suddenly morphed into Satan. It's Jesus' way of saying, Peter, you're sounding a lot like Satan right now. Because if you remember at the beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus was in the wilderness. He was being tempted by Satan. 
And Satan said basically this, you can have the crown without the cross. If you'll just bow down before me, you can have all the kingdoms of the world. Now, the kingdoms of the world were never Satan's to begin with. But the point was, Satan was trying to get Jesus to worship him by giving him a false promise. You can have the crown without the cross. And Jesus is saying to Peter, you're sounding a lot like that, Peter, because you're telling me I can have the crown without the cross. And so Peter and the disciples, they had their preconceived notions of what it would mean to follow Jesus. It would mean a better life. <laughs> it would mean positions of prominence in you know, Jesus' cabinet when he was king over a reconstituted Israel. We've got our own preconceived notions of what it means to follow Jesus as well. You know, we, we kind of come with that, perhaps. It's going to mean a better life for me. You know, the, the reason why prosperity gospel preachers, the Joel Osteens of the world, get such a following is because they promise people not what God promises, but what our hearts really want so often. I want a successful life. I, I want to be healthy. I don't want to face any trials and difficulties in my life. And if I put my faith in Jesus, surely I'll have my best life now. And Jesus challenges us just as he went on to challenge his disciples. Remember, in that passage that we ended with three months ago, coming down to the end of verse 33, Jesus was only talking to his disciples. But beginning in verse 34, he calls the crowd to himself. So now he's including everybody. He's, he's saying to his disciples, but he's also saying to anyone who would follow him, including us today, this is what it looks like to follow me. It actually looks like not exalting yourself, but denying yourself. It actually doesn't look like an easy, you know, wealthy life. It actually looks like taking up your cross and following me. It looks like following me in the way of my cross. That's what it's going to mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So Jesus here in this passage really, you know, kind of calls us to the heart of the matter, if you will. He kind of crystallizes in the same way that he crystallized for his disciples his identity, yes, I am the Christ, and then crystallized his mission, I've come to die and rise on the third day, so too here he is crystallizing what it means to be a follower of his. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. In other words, what he's saying is this is the normal, ordinary Christian life. This isn't exceptional. This isn't thing that, you know, super Christians do, those who are on the mission field or pastors or whatever the case may be. Jesus is saying, this is for everyone. That's why I've called the crowd here to listen to this. This is for every follower of, of, of me. The normal, ordinary Christian life means surrender. It means denying yourself. It means following Jesus in the way of his cross. That's the normal Christian life. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning from this passage. We're going to consider the normal Christian life under the following three headings. First, the, con or the, the, uh, the conditions for following Jesus. Second, the consequences of following Jesus. And then third, the comfort that this passage provides for us for those who follow Jesus. So conditions, consequences, and comfort. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning and have your word open 
And uh, we pray, O oh God, that you would seal these truths to our hearts. Pray that you'd be working by your spirit uh, to draw us to yourself. Uh, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, the conditions for following Jesus. And we see this in verse 34. Verse 34 is essentially an if followed by three thens. So if, then this. These commands, these imperatives. So verse 34 And calling the crowd to to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, then, this is what it looks like, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So let's look at those three things real quick. But we are going to spend most of the time, not only in this point, but in this entire sermon, talking about those two words, deny himself. Because understanding what Jesus means here when it comes to self-denial is crucial for understanding everything, he, everything else he says in this passage and really everything about what it means to be a Christian. So most of our time is just going to be spent in that first uh, aspect, that first part of this first point concerning what it means to deny yourself. What does he mean then? That, that verb, deny. So when Jesus says deny yourself, that verb is a used, it's used 11 times in the New Testament, eight of which are associated with Peter's denial of Jesus after Jesus' arrest. It's a very strong word. Peter was saying to you know, the people that were saying, Don't you, aren't you with him? Peter was saying, I am not with him. I am not associated with him in any way. Do not link me with him. And that's the word that Jesus is using here. And he's saying, don't do that for yourself. In a way, you know, disassociate yourself from yourself. In a way, deny yourself in the sense of repudiating any right to yourself. What does that mean? What is Jesus saying? Well, don't build your identity on yourself. Don't build your identity on what you think of yourself when you look in the mirror. Don't let that define who you are. Don't let how others feel about you define who you are. Don't base your worth on yourself. Don't look to your career and what that says about who you are. Don't look to what college you're going to or whether or not you even went to college as, as if that defines who you are. Don't look to your, you know, your wealth or your retirement account as, as if that defines who you are. Don't base your future on yourself, on your ability to carve a path for yourself and to find a career or a life that's fulfilling for yourself. In other words, deny yourself. I love the way Danny Aiken in his commentary on Mark put it. He says this, Give up the right to self-determination. Live as Christ directs. Treasure and value Jesus more than yourself your comforts, your aspirations, and then I love this line, put to death the idol of I. Say no, to, say no to you and say yes to Jesus. Self-denial is simply saying no to you and saying yes to Jesus. What does that look like practically then? Well, first it looks like giving Jesus your ultimate allegiance. You give, you give your ultimate allegiance to Jesus. So if you're not a Christian, what you need to hear there is that Jesus can't just be an add-on to your life. 
I'll take a little bit of Jesus' teaching, and I'll take a little bit of you know, teaching from over here, a little bit of this religion. I'll kind of have this a la carte approach to my worldview. Jesus doesn't leave that option open. I mean, remember what he said back in verse 31. I read it earlier. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He's saying there, I'm actually more than just a teacher. I'm more than just an inspirational figure in history. I'm the Son of God. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise from the dead. That's going to have major implications for everyone. I read verse 38 earlier. Verse 38, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So there Jesus is saying, I'm going to come back. And I'm actually going to judge. Jesus is saying, I'm not just a teacher with certain teachings that you can add on to your you know, worldview. I am the Son of God. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, what I hope you'll hear when it comes to this aspect of denying yourself is that it means you must surrender to God and have a relationship with God entirely by God's grace, not see Jesus as an add-on to your life and your way of living. I also think this confronts those who are, uh, I'll use the phrase, comfortable Christians or cultural Christians, which is an oxymoron. See, there are people who think, I go to church every Sunday, you know, I tithe, or when I was a little kid, I made profession of faith and I was baptized. I haven't gone to church since, but surely I'm a Christian. I think about God every now and then. I pray whenever I'm having a hard time. Jesus is saying, that's not self-denial. That's not what it means to have your ultimate allegiance be to me. Denying yourself means your ultimate allegiance is to Jesus. Second, denying yourself means believing that God's way is best. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. And as part of the Lord's prayer, he said, pray, thy will be done. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was crucified, he prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. Denying yourself is believing that God's way is best. It's seeking his will and not your own will, moment by moment. It's not some you know, big grand decision that you make at the, at the beginning of the Christian life, nor is it just you know, only the way in which you start out your day. Lord, this morning I'm praying thy will be done. It's moment by moment throughout the course of every day when you know, your will bumps up against your pursuit of God's will that in that moment you say, you know, God, I'm going to trust that your way is right. I'm going to trust that your will is best. That's what it looks like to deny yourself and follow Jesus. It also looks like, third, trusting that God's word is true. Trusting that God's word is true, especially when your heart is trying to convince you otherwise. We often struggle with self-doubt. Surely God couldn't love me. Surely God doesn't accept me. Surely I'm too far gone. Even though you have put your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. And you are seeking to deny yourself and follow Him. Our hearts still condemn us. That's why I'm so glad that 1 John 3.20 is in our Bible. Because John says there, 
Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. That is such good news. When our hearts condemn us, you you do realize that self-denial is not, you know, bound up with the idea of self-doubt. Like, doubting yourself is not denying yourself. Doubting yourself is being consumed with yourself. Denying yourself when you're feeling doubt is simply trusting that what God says about you is true. That His verdict about you in Christ, because you are a follower of Jesus, is true. And not what your heart says. That's a way to deny yourself. is simply to say, I'm going to trust that God's Word is true. I'm going to trust that His way is best. I'm going to rest in the fact that I'm His. I love the way the uh, Heidelberg Catechism begins. You know, catechism is just a teaching tool. Uh, Heidelberg Catechism, you know, the first question is, what is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer begins with this, this phrase, that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not my own. I'm yours, O oh God, and yours alone. I am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We sing that song every now and then. It was a song written by uh, Alex Trigstad, who was a, a member here and an elder here and is now off serving in another church. I am not my own. I'm yours, O oh God, and yours alone. I am not my own. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Resting in that is the way in which you deny yourself. Believing that God's way is best is a way in which you deny yourself. Trusting that God's verdict of you in Christ is true when your heart tells you otherwise is also a way of denying yourself. Second, Jesus says, take up your cross. Verse 34, again, calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and then secondly, take up his cross. Jesus there is not talking about hardship. He's not talking about the brokenness that we all experience because we're broken people living in a broken world. He's not talking about sickness. He's not talking about poverty. Those are all real things. Those are the things in the midst of which which we remember passages like 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Paul says that in his weakness, and we too in our weakness, when we're weak, we're strong. That God tells us that his grace is sufficient for us. And so those hardships, the sickness, sin, difficulties are real. That's just not what Jesus is referring to here in this passage. What he's saying here is suffering that is associated or the result of your association with me. Taking up your cross is suffering because you are a Christian. The Bible tells us we should expect that. The first readers of Mark were Christians in Rome under Nero who were being fed to the lions. Right? So they were experiencing suffering in a way that you know, lots of Christians around the world and throughout history have. Thankfully, that's not what we experience here. But Jesus did say in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verse 11, not if, but when you are slandered or spoken ill of, 
because of your association with me, rejoice. And so we should expect that if we're faithfully following Jesus, it will include some aspect of maybe outright persecution, but more likely, thankfully, in our society, simply being treated with shame and contempt and spoken poorly of as a result of following Jesus Christ. Jesus is talking about suffering in some way as a result of being a Christian. The, the key thing I want to hit on, just again real quick, quickly, but draw your attention to, is not just the word cross, but also the word your in verse 34. Jesus says, take up your cross, take up his cross, take up your cross and follow me. I think when I read that of 1 Peter 3.15, when Peter says in that passage, you know what, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. In other words, an aspect of the normal, ordinary Christian life is simply being ready to talk to people about what it is that God is doing in you. It doesn't mean you have to have all the answers to every question that anyone would ever raise when it comes to the truth of Christianity. That's great. You should study those things. You should seek to be a good you know, defender of the faith in terms of the ability to talk about Christianity over against other religions. But really what the ordinary Christian life looks like is just being really able to talk about the reason why you believe. And then being willing to bear your suffering that comes as a result of that. Whatever that may look like. But again, this isn't the kind of things that you know, extraordinary Christians on the mission field experience. This is everyday life for a faithful follower of Christ. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and then Jesus says there at the end of verse 34, follow me. Now that's interesting if you think about it. He begins by saying, if anyone would follow me, and then he ends with, follow me. If anyone would follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. In other words, do it actually follow through on it. Don't just think about these things, but live this way. And so my question to you is, you know, when you turn off the, the screen, whatever you're watching this on, or as you walk out of here today, are you going to act on what you've heard? Are you going to implement these things in your life? Are you going to say, okay, today, you know what, the rest of this day, I'm going to seek to deny myself Take up my cross if the moment requires it and follow Jesus. Now, if you say, what if I am trying and failing at that? If you say, what if I'm doing more falling than following? Does that mean I'm not a Christian? No, what that means is that you can you know, join the club. Because any honest Christian, any Christian who's not trying to fake it, will tell you they feel more like they're falling than they are following. Because we still struggle with sin. Go spend some time camping out in Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8. Just read it, those two chapters together later. And you will be reminded that ultimately the good news is that God has got His grip on us. And our relationship with Him isn't contingent on how we're, well we're doing at any given moment in our life. All right, so what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it look like first? Denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Him. Those are the conditions. Secondly, and we're going to speed up here, what are the consequences of following Jesus? 
And we see two things in verses 35 through 38. Jesus says the consequences are gaining eternal life or losing it, or secondly, acceptance before the throne of God or rejection or shame. So verse 35, take a look. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Jesus is talking about gaining eternal life. He's not saying you can lose your salvation if you're a Christian. That's not what he's saying here. What he is saying here, and again, let me just remind you of a couple of verses. John 6, 37, Jesus says, um, whoever the Father gives to me will come to me, and none that the Father has given me will I ever cast away. Paul in Philippians 1.6, we confess this uh, as part of our assurance of forgiveness earlier this morning. He who has began a good work in you will see it through to completion. That's Philippians 1.6. And so Jesus is not saying, you know what, you can lose your salvation. What he is saying is if your life is marked by a refusal to you know, absorb the cost of following Jesus, if your life is marked by the pursuit of self-fulfillment, a refusal to say no to sin, a refusal to, to deny yourself. If that's what the, the video of your life tells, not a picture at any point in your life. We all have pictures that if someone were to take a picture of us in that moment, there would be every reason to think we couldn't possibly be a Christian. I'm talking about the video of your life. If the video of your life is a life characterized not by a desire to follow Christ, but a simply desire to Get your own while you can. Simply a pursuit of self-fulfillment. Then what will be found in the end is that you were never a follower of Christ to begin with. That's the warning here. The setting that Jesus envisions in this passage is as if you're standing before someone who is saying to you, listen, if you will reject Christ, you'll live. But if you uh, are going to adhere to your faith in Christ, you're going to die, which is the kind of setting that these early Christians were finding themselves in under Nero. The setting for us is more to do just kind of internally with ourselves. You know, are, are we going to say yes to sin or no to sin in my day-to-day life? And over the course of my life, if the answer to that question has consistently been, I'm living for myself and not living for Jesus, then I will have be found to, one who nev- to be one who never had eternal life to begin with, who was never actually a follower of Christ. So there's a warning here. The positive side of that is, if by God's grace you are one who has said, you know what, I'm stumbling, I'm falling, but I am primarily, my allegiance is to Jesus. And when I do fall down, I come back to him and say, forgive me, please help me, I want to follow you. If that is what the video of your life reveals you actually are one who is found to have eternal life. And that's good news. Verse 36, let me read that for us real quick and explain it. Verse 36, for whoever, no, verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So in other words, even if you could acquire everything, riches beyond imagination, you can't take it with you. It's gone. Even if you could have the fame of this world or just the fame of the people in your own circle. In the end, you know, within a generation, you're forgotten, if not within the matter of a few weeks. Right? You can't take any of the things that we tend to live for with you. They die with you. However, if you will 
find your life in Christ, you will find that you have gained everything forever. Verse 37, let me read that for us real quick. For what can a man give in return for his soul? What's Jesus saying there? If you come to the point of realizing, you know what, I have, I have tried to find my life in the things of this world. I have been denying Christ my entire life. But now, what can I do to earn my way back? What can I do in a sense to buy back my soul? And the answer in verse 37 is there's nothing you can do. You can't earn or work your way back into a right relationship or into a right relationship with God. We're going to come back to that at the end because there's good news there. But as you hear that right at the beginning, it is a warning. And then verse 38, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What is he saying there? To be ashamed of someone is to say, I don't want to associate with that person. Jesus is saying, I am going to live a shameful death in the sense of life. I'm going to die in a way that is considered shameful. People are going to not want to associate with me. Of course, those disciples wouldn't want to associate with him at the point of his death on the cross. And Jesus is saying, again, if your life is marked by a refusal to associate with me, I will refuse to associate with you. If your life is marked by a rejection of me, then you will find in the end that you have been rejected by me. These are the consequences of following Jesus. It's either gaining or losing eternal life or acceptance or rejection before the throne of Christ. Was the consequences. Now the comfort. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Now next week we're going to talk more about what that means. Let me just say now what he's referring to is the transfiguration that's about to happen. In the next part of chapter 9, um, Peter, James, and John are going to get a preview, if you will, of what it will be like when Jesus Christ returns in glory on the last day. They're going to get a little glimpse of that on the mountain. We'll get to that next week. The point that we need to consider here is Jesus is saying, even though I'm going to suffer, even though I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to rise, and I am going to return in glory. In other words, everything that people would say was for my shame, my death on the cross, will be vindicated when I come back in glory. What that means for an everyday, normal Christian is that we will find in the end that it's all been worth it. This following of Jesus, this giving our allegiance to Him, to this crucified Savior who rose on the third day, He will come back. His name will be vindicated And consequently, we will find that all the suffering, all the hardship that we face in this world, all the things that we've said no to in order to say yes to Jesus, it will have all been worth it. And we'll see that to be the case when Jesus returns in glory. And so there's comfort to be found in that now. We look to that day and we remember it will all be 
able to be seen as worth it. That has implications for your life now. Because that is true, because that hope is secure, we can begin to live a life now that's shaped by that which is sure and certain and not that which is temporary and unstable. That impacts the way that we live now. Paul in Colossians 3.3 says, You died, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. In other words, who you are, which will be revealed at the last day, is now taken care of and protected by God. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it in Mere Christianity. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find Him. And with Him, everything else thrown in. What does it mean to be a normal, everyday follower of Christ? What's the hope that we have? we will know that one day it will have all been worth it. The things that we've said no to in this life for the sake of saying yes to Christ, it will be seen to have been worth it. You actually begin to find who you are as you follow Christ now. And then third, you experience now a foretaste of fellowship with God forever. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in uh, Nazi Germany um, he, you know, was standing up against Hitler, right? He was seeking to be faithful to God's word. He was persecuted for that. He was ultimately killed for that. He wrote a book, uh, well, he wrote a number of books, but one of the books that he's, he's most famous for is the book, The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he says this, the cross, in other words, taking up your cross, following Jesus, suffering as a result of being a follower of Christ, the cross, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise happy life. The cross meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. In other words, it's as we take up our cross and follow Jesus. It's as we deny ourselves and give our allegiance to Him and believe His verdict concerning us and not the verdict of our own heart. It's as we do those things that we actually begin to experience what it means to be in a relationship with the God of the universe the God who created us, the God who came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Back in verse 37, I said, no one can buy back a life. So Jesus says in verse 37, no one can buy back a life. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. A soul is too costly. Psalm 49 verses seven, or 6 and 7 says this, truly no one can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. For the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice that he should live on forever and never see the pit. In other words, the psalmist is saying what Jesus said. It is impossible for you to buy back your own life and rescue you know, yourself from God's judgment and hell. 
but there is one who has paid the price to buy back your life. And that is Jesus. He'll say, and we'll read it in Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve, and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave his life as the payment to buy back your life. And so if you feel as though, man, all that sounds great, Mark, but it's, I'm too far gone. If you have breath in your lungs, you are not too far gone. Put your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ. Accept the price that He paid for your life to be redeemed. To be brought back or brought into fellowship with God. Of course, that's what Jesus did. He came to do the will of the Father. He was obedient unto death on the cross. And we are called to journey with Him in the way of His cross. We're called to say no to self and yes to Him in every way imaginable. That is the normal Christian life. And that is the life that shines in the world. I love the way Dick Lucas put it. The greatest evidence of the power of God is the capacity of His people in an evil world to live the normal Christian life. If you think my life is having no impact on the world as a Christian, you know, the Bible would beg to differ with you. Being salt and light is not doing something famous. It's just following Jesus moment by moment of the course of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be people who follow you in the day-to-day things. Who don't think that self-denial looks like some you know, uh, big moment in our life where we choose to say no to self and yes to you, but it's in the everyday things. It's in the things that are, are involved with caring for other people or, or watching over our children or, or um, you know, having to go to work. I mean, the things that we do to say no to self in order to say yes to what it means to follow you, Lord, help us to know that in those things you are being honored and glorified and we are able to experience more of what it means to be your children. We ask that you would help us to experience the full joy of the normal, ordinary Christian life and to be able to taste of that joy even today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.